Hello, and welcome to episode 228 of Grid Talk. Today we are here to discuss the race review for the Dutch Grand Prix. My name is Tom Downey, and joining me today we have Aaron Harper from the Five Red Lights podcast. How are you doing, Tom? I'm very well, sir. Thank you for asking. How are you? Yeah, all good. Looking forward to this uh, race recap <laughs> for an exciting race. I wonder why. And also <laughs> joining me is my Everything F1 colleague, Sophia Richmond. How are you, Sophie? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm excited as well for this race um, to discuss it. Lots of twists and turns took place um, today. Something, something like that, I guess you could say. <laughs> but just before we get going, if you enjoyed this podcast, we would love it if you could take us five to leave us a five-star rating on Spotify or a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, you'll automatically go into our monthly draw to win a Grid Talk t-shirt from our champion range of merch. Also, if you're one of the 72% of people who are not yet subscribed to the channel, please consider helping us out with a like and a subscribe. And don't forget to hit that notification bell to get notified every time we go live. So now that the formalities are out of the way, let's have a chinwag about the Dutch Grand Prix. So Aaron, I will go to you first. No, I won't. I'll go to Sophia first because Aaron, I want to give you Mercedes. Um, Sophia. Another win for Max. You know, that is win number 10 of the season, I believe, already. Um, mm-hmm. I believe he's equaled his number of wins from last season when he obviously won his first title. Pretty yeah. good day for him. And a hat-trick as well. He he was awarded a hat-trick for fastest lap um, pole and winning the race. Um, it's crazy now. He's pretty much run away with it. Um, it. It's I've been saying it on multiple podcasts that statistically it is possible, but given how everything's been going on, I, I see it's more and more unlikely, even with statistics being on the side of it being possible for Charles or Perez now because they're tied to win the championship. Max is just in a league of his own, and it's proving how deserving he was as well for last season with some of the obviously calls I made in Abu Dhabi, but... He's just absolutely amazing. Like people are drivers just know straight away it is Max that's gonna win. Like we saw that last week. Um, even though starting towards the end of the grid, everyone in the interview said, Oh no, Max will catch up and he just had such a good lead. I mean, going back and forth with Mercedes a few times um in this race as well. You just didn't know, but once it was kind of secure that Max was gonna take the win, he just kind of ran off with it. Yeah, I think it's safe to say, even as a as a self as a self confessed Max Verstappen fan, there was definitely an element of luck today with um, with mm-hmm. how the safety car and the virtual safety car fell. Um, but behind Max P two, somewhat not unexpected, perhaps controversially with the, with the way it went about Aaron was George Russell of Mercedes. So uh, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on uh, on Mr. Russell today. I wouldn't say it was controversial. I think uh, I think Mercedes ended up because they were trying to take a risk to to win the race because they felt they had the car to win the race. They had to do something different on strategy, and Toto Wolff said as much uh, in his post race uh, chat with Sky, saying basically, if we ran on the same tire, we didn't have an answer, and that that was apparent because once Verstappen got in front uh, following the safety car, Russell wasn't able to catch him, and in fact was falling back. But in terms of George's race, he was very, very strong today. There was points where he was quicker than Lewis. There were points where he was actually the fastest man on the track out of anybody. So, you know, anyone who's wondering why still, why Mercedes picked George Russell, this should put to bed any questions because he's delivered a flawless race, I would say today. He was delivering the pace that they needed. He got past Lando Norris at the earliest opportunity. He ran his race very well. He made a nice move on Lewis when it could have been a bit sketchy. I think that was just Lewis almost opening the door and then George moved across at the same point. So it looked a bit worse than it was. But, you know, another podium for George Russell and he's still uh, yet to finish a race outside of the top five Form. So he's actually well, he's not finished higher than second, and well, this actually his best result of the season, isn't it? It's his first second place for Mercedes, but he's finished his highest is second, and his lowest is P five, and that is from what thirteen race finishes for Mercedes, 
which is highly, highly impressive. And, you know, if you look back at, at Lewis Hamilton's arrival in 2007, he went on a similar run of podiums. Okay, he had a couple of victories in there, but his first nine races for McLaren, all on the podium. And it took an, a freak event at the Nürburgring to, to take that away from him. But leaving the comparisons aside, George Russell is showing absolutely he is the real deal. And if Mercedes have a winning car, it's not a guarantee that Lewis Hamilton will take it this season. There is every chance that George Russell could take that win for Mercedes this year. Do you think Mercedes have almost hit a point where it's a bit of a changing of the guard? Not yet, because even, even though George was faster at points, I still think that Lewis just has a, that little extra, that experience. You know, you cannot buy that experience. Lewis has seven world championships, more than 100 race wins. You know, you can't buy that. And you see, you're seeing it with Verstappen now. He is evolving with each race victory that he collects. Now that he's got that championship under his belt and all these race wins that are just flowing now. Once that experience comes and that maturity that comes with it, these drivers, you, you might see it with Leclerc, but you're seeing it certainly with Verstappen. You may see it in the future with Russell. They they just go to another level. Yeah, I I. I... Do agree with you there, Aaron, and it's certainly something that we've seen with Verstappen over the years. You know, I, I think the sort of the sort of uh, the sort of crunch time with Verstappen was about 2018 when he he kept crashing and then he collided with Seb and I believe China. Then after then he sort of got into a different mindset. Then last year I think we saw a very different Max. Um, so yeah, so I, I I think that's a very good point about about George Russell there. But um, moving on, I say moving on down the grid, only moving down to P3. Uh, he finished P4 on the road, but due to the penalty for his teammate, uh, Charles Leclerc promoted to P3. Uh, Sophia, an interesting day for Ferrari, shall we say. Um, good luck with this one. <laughs> that's, that's all I had to say. God, where do I begin? Um, I mean... Uh... Oh, God, I, I feel for the Ferrari fans, especially going into next weekend with Monza. It's going to be quite a crazy time. Um, God, there was just so many mess ups. I'm trying to figure out like what's probably the best one to talk about. Um, with Sainz getting the penalty, which was I believe was deserved, um, it was crucial points for the team as constructors that they've lost. Um it was good for Charles, I guess, because obviously he needed the points. He's now tied in second in the drivers uh, with Sergio Perez with a 109-point difference to Max um, as well. It, oh God, I, I'm trying, trying to find the right words to say because it's just been a crazy weekend for Ferrari, and I feel like that's I'm saying this every time I'm on this podcast, like, Ferrari's strategies are just absolutely terrible. And like some of these mistakes that some of these drivers are making as well, we're not expecting this from people who have been in F1 for many years. We're expecting that from maybe like Yuki or Joe Guan Yu and just stupid mistakes. Um, yeah. Oh, God. Help me out here because I'm literally struggling right now on what to say. I find it quite funny that Nico Rosberg claimed that Formula 2 and Formula 3 teams were able to get their strategies more in line than Ferrari, which that's a very inflammatory statement and yeah. probably not particularly accurate because Ferrari operate under a different set of parameters to the F2 and F3 guys in terms of strategy. But think, the point still remains <laughs> that yeah. Ferrari cannot organise a drink-up in a brewery if they could try to. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Ferrari strategy as well. There was just so much that was going on. Like, I, I've been saying, like, it changes almost lap by lap, even minute by, by minute or turn by turn. Like, it's constantly tra- uh, changing all the time. And I I feel for the uh, strategists in general, not just Ferraris, because the amount of quick decisions they're going to have to make. But, I mean, with the F2 and F3 comment, like, I can kind of see that. But, again, they had a boring race. Like, they've had, like, not as interesting races, I think, compared to how F1 uh, the Sunday race was. But 
yeah, it, I can see both ways on that comment by Nico. But obviously, it's Nico. Nico just loves doing the plot anyway with the amount of comments that he makes. I love how they keep him included and involved in conversations, even though he's not allowed in the paddocks at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's a very uh, that's a very Nico Rosberg way of doing it, isn't it? He just likes to come in, drop drop a hot take or drop a hot potato, and then walk Please. out. Or he doesn't even, he doesn't even have to walk in because he's not allowed in the paddock. Um, so yeah, so it's a uh, yeah, an interesting day for uh, for Ferrari. I was going to say contrasting fortunes, but it wasn't really. Uh, we'll get into Carlos Sainz in a moment because obviously he's further down the grid thanks to that penalty. But um, Aaron, P4, Lewis Hamilton, who was, uh, he, he looked like he was on course to potentially take his first race win of the season. Um, I know that's something that we keep saying this uh, this season and at the start of the season a lot of us or certainly me uh, and people like myself were saying Hamilton won't 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 win a race this season etc etc he looked close today to be fair and unfortunately uh, the strategy at, at Mercedes didn't exactly benefit him I just think it was the racing circumstances really that unfolded in a, a way that it just put Mercedes so much on the back foot in terms of what they were trying to do. So they, they, they were trying to run a one-stop strategy, medium to hard. And obviously, I think I think they probably entered the race going for a two-stop, medium, medium, soft. But once they saw how well the medium was doing and then how well the hard was doing, their mind was made up to go medium hard and, and try and do something different. And Toto Wolff said they were playing for the win. And they were. They had an opportunity today. And I think no VSC, no safety car, Verstappen probably still just wins the race. It's it's mighty close though. And unfortunately, we will never know how that panned out because uh, Sonoda stopped on track and Bottas also broke down. And that triggered the chain of events that then put Mercedes in such a difficult position. And look, it, it was so reminiscent of Abu Dhabi, and I know that that is ground that has been well trodden. Obviously, there was much less controversy about it this time, but you could just see the parallels of Hamilton on older tyres, everybody else on uh, not necessarily new softs, but on younger soft tyres, and through they came. It and Coupled with the fact that the Mercedes does not get heat into its tyres very quickly, that what impressed me most about today was the fact that Hamilton came out of the pits on hard tyres and banged in a personal best middle sector on his outlap and then on his first flying lap put in a purple, at that point, middle sector. So the pace was inherently there and whether they would have been able to manage the hard tyres to the end is up for debate. But it made it mighty interesting and Lewis will be as disappointed as anybody and he was, I'm not sure, rightly unhappy is, is probably the way to go. But of course, he was going to be unhappy. He's a, a race winner. He wants to win. He's here to win. And so are Mercedes. And, you know, you'd I think you'd rather come out of a race having fought for the victory, but finished fourth, than gone, well, you know, actually, we'll just, fi we'll just finish second or third today and just give up on the win. They're races they want to win. And they went, they went racing, <laughs> to, to use a phrase from Abu Dhabi. They went motor racing. And today, the motor racing gods weren't on their side. But, you know, there's circuits like Singapore coming up and that could be an opportunity for Mercedes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was, uh, it was definitely Toto. It's called the motor race today. Um, so I've just been waiting to get that line in. Um, yes, no, it was... It was, it, it was it, yeah, the, the racing gods are definitely against Hamilton. And, um, yes, yeah, seeing him out there on on older mediums, everybody around him was on new rubber. Yeah, it did have a sort of feeling of Abu Dhabi 2021. And then obviously, you know, when Max then pitted for fresh shots, you know, I was getting I was getting flashbacks, good flashbacks. Um, it also reminded me a bit of um, uh, uh, the Silverstone race when, uh, when Leclerc was out on all hard tyres and then he got passed by everybody. You know, there were some similarities there. So, you know, maybe um, maybe the Ferrari and the Mercedes strategists went out for dinner last night. We don't know. But, um, I think you could actually make an argument for Hamilton having lost three victories, his last three opportunities to win. Mm. 
mm-hmm. all to a late safety car. Mm-hmm. So Abu Dhabi, um, Silverstone, and today. I would. It's dis- a weak argument. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, Abu Dhabi most definitely today, possibly. But you know, if you've seen what everybody else around him was doing, he could have gone for the same call on tires. And then Silverstone, no, he pitted and he was just too slow. But anyway, moving moving down the grid, um, the, uh, Hamilton sort of main protagonist on the field or sort of on the grid at the moment it seems to be Sergio Perez uh, Sophia there was a very up and down race for Perez and it didn't have the best of qualifyings so started uh, started P5 we had a crazy race and he finished P5 mm-hmm. uh, yeah not really sure what to say about him yeah there's a few battles um, he even had a few wheel to wheel battles with Carlos Sainz to the, which he was pretty much pushed off as well um onto the gravel, had a few lockups, which allowed uh, Hamilton as well to t- uh, pass him towards the end of the race as well. Um, yeah, given everything that's been going on and just like how this weekend or how this race has been, I think he did the best he could as a driver. He got the points that was needed for the Constructors' Championship. They are literally running away with it. I think it's 169 or sorry, 135 points, I think, or 139 points that they have in the Constructors' Championship as a lead. He's doing what a number two driver is doing. Um, Didn't really have any kind of real big mistakes um, or big issues, but good um, kind of battles going on and such with uh, Sainz and Hamilton. But from that, kind of quiet, got the points, end of day. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen Perez maybe move up the grid a bit, and especially given sort of how good that Red Bull is and how good Perez was at the start of the season. I'd have liked to have seen that, but no, it's, uh, it's not to be today. Um, so, so some of his battling with Hamilton, I thought, was very reminiscent, uh, very reminiscent of sort of Turkey 2021 when they were, you know, when they were sort of like going down the pit straight or the rest of it. Um, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, it was an interesting day for him. But just behind him, P6, obviously P7 on the road, uh, Fernando Alonso. Aaron, for me, Alonso was driver of the day. Bearing in mind he started mine outside. Too. Yeah, but, but bearing in mind he started outside the points, um, you know, you know, you know putting some typical Alonso flair. For me, he was driver of the day, but I guess we had half of Holland voting for Max. Um, I'm not surprised they didn't crash the F1 website with all their votes. But uh, how how do you think the Aston Martin bound driver got on? I think the race turned as soon as Alonso put the hard tyres on because all the way through the weekend it was, we're not touching the hard tyre, we're not touching the hard tyre because it's just not warming up at all, it's not working. And then out trundles Alonso on hard tyres because, you know, he's a total maverick and he just does his own thing. They worked. And then Lando Norris put them on and they worked on the McLaren too. So that it just changed the shape of the race. And as I said earlier, I think that's what made Mercedes feel that they could make a one-stop work because the hard tyre was, was working and it worked so well for Alonso. And Alpine rolled the dice again with that stop for the soft tyres. And, you know, it put him in play because he was able to then get, get back through the, the order. And it gave them P6 and they actually came away with more points than McLaren on a weekend where McLaren were actually more competitive than Alpine. And that, it just shows you what they're going to lose when Alonso leaves for Aston Martin. You know, they might just be looking at him in their rearview mirrors as well next year, but, you know, they're going to lose a very, very talented driver. You know, um, he might come out and say this was the greatest race he's ever done because it was better than Spa, which was better than Hungary. And, you know, that's fine. You know, if that's how you feel, Fernando, that's all right. But it was a good performance. We can't deny that. He made some really nice overtakes, and he was battling really, really well. He wasn't taking anybody out this week. That's tongue-in-cheek, by the way. It was definitely a racing incident last week. But, you know, he drove very, very well. And that, that call to go on the hard tyres changed the shape of his race as well as everybody else's because had he gone for mediums, he'd have ended up probably just on the edges of the top 10. Um, but it, it was a gamble that paid off and then they took another risk with the softs and that too paid off. So, you know, 
a lucky i say lucky but you know sometimes you've got to take a risk and things sometimes fall your way and that's what happened for alpine and alonso yeah um i like that comment about about him saying that it was his greatest race ever he seems to say that after almost every race of the minute um, but we all know that Alonso just likes to stir the pot and then sit there, give a thumbs up on Instagram, and drink wine from his own uh, from his own winery. So yes, uh, you know that's a vintage Alonso that was. Uh, Sophia P seven Lando Norris. Uh, I I thought Lando had a pretty good race given the relative performance of that McLaren. Um, how do you think he got on today? Um, quite quiet, I think. Um, started P seven, ended. In P7, um, obviously with Sainz's penalty allowing him to go into P7, I think there's been more drama off track this week than has been on track with McLaren. Um, but for Lando, he's, we've said this multiple times, he is a consistent head down driver. He is doing the work of what he's meant to be doing, getting the points. Um, I can't remember any kind of real big situations off the top of my head um but yeah lando it's good for mclaren for the points helping them kind of pay the way but alpine is still ahead of them in the constructors i believe by 20 points or four points something like that if i remember correctly big gap of the two but um yeah quite a good one um for the team um and for lando just getting points in the, in the drivers championship as well yeah um yeah, I, I mean, I don't really have an awful lot more to say uh, about Lando. You know, it, it, it was all the, it, all the focus is on Daniel and outside of McLaren and Oscar. Like, no one's really kind of caring really about yeah. Lando this weekend. I think. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there was a bit of insight into his personal life, but we're not going to go into that because that's you know that's 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 mm-hmm. irrelevant. We're here, to, we're here to talk about the race, and you know, he finished in the points. Which which is good, which is which is what he needs. Um, Aaron P eight Carlos signs. Obviously finished P three on the roads, but had that five second penalty for that unsafe release. Uh, Ferrari went full Ferrari today with him, didn't they? They really gave. I'm supposed to be impartial, but I don't really care. They gave it their all to screw him up as much as they could, and boy did they deliver! I cannot wait for their home race because they're really going to do him in. Uh, it was it was a bit of a shambles, especially that first pit stop, wasn't it? Because <laughs> I'm going to really show my age here, and it was Nurburgring 1999, and coincidentally, Eddie Irvine was actually there on the grid. So yeah, you know, Croft, Crofty did say that as well. Absolutely about, yeah. appropriate because it was Eddie Irvine's Ferrari back in '99, which may or may not have cost the Irishman uh, World Championship. But there's other um, conspiracy theories uh, uh, about about that as well. So I'll leave you to find those at your own leisure. It was unfortunate for science, but let's be honest, he didn't have the pace in the first stint. He was dropping back from Leclerc. I think Hamilton was just biding his time. And if he wanted to, he could have gone past him. The first stop was an absolute mess. And the, the, the unsafe release was a slam dunk. I think they tried to make a claim that McLaren were in the way and it's a tight pit lane and I get that, but it's an unsafe release at the end of the day. And it, it just unraveled for Carlos, unfortunately, but it all stemmed from the fact that he had too much tyre degradation and therefore lost pace. But then Leclerc lost a lot of time in the first stint to Verstappen, which put Ferrari completely out of the picture for the race win. Um, had they had more of a say in you know, in terms of pace against Red Bull, then, you know, Mercedes might have just gazumped the pair of them. But then Mercedes might not have been in the picture. So the lack of Ferrari pace really just unhinged their whole strategy with both Leclerc and Sainz because it meant Sainz had to pit early and then they had the the slow stop. And it was just, I mean, it's Ferrari in 2022 all over, isn't it? It just, it looks so good to start with. They were starting second and third, and you're thinking, great, they can challenge Verstappen, and very quickly that didn't materialise. And then it went to the pit lane and everything fell apart, and they didn't have the strategy now to uh, get themselves back in. But then they didn't have the raw pace either, as I said. So a messy day, and you know they've recovered some points with Leclerc, but they've lost a load with, with science. So... <laughs> 
Yeah, um, I mean, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head with, with Ferrari there. Uh, and I, I honestly think they look like a team that doesn't know how to win. And anytime they've even had a remote shot at the championship or a remote shot at sometimes even a race win over the last few years, you know, they had a couple of sort of like sort of almost flirts with getting there in 2017 through to 2019. Um, they all just seem to implode. It's like, do you remember when Leclerc and Vettel drove into each other at Brazil in 2019? It was a classic example. And we've just seen it time and time and time again. They did it in one of the races in Austria in 2020 as well. You know, um, Leclerc uh, drove into the back of Seb and really broke his rear wing. Uh, so broke Seb's rear wing, broke his own front wing. It's just... Yeah, I mean, yeah, Ferrari needs, it just needs redoing really from top to bottom. They need to try and pilfer some of the Red Bull staff for strategy and all the rest of it. Because if they carry on like this, they are not going to win a championship. Um, they're, they're a team that don't know how to, how to win a championship. But moving on. Um, anyway, uh, in P9, uh, Sophia, it was Esteban Ocon for, for Alpine. Double points for, uh, for, uh, for, um, Alpine this weekend, uh, and I know you're, you're a bit of a fan of Ocon anyway. So, uh, you know, so yeah, but pr- pretty good day for him, actually. Yeah, um, I obviously we say George missed the consistency. I believe Ocon as well is probably a consistent driver to his skill and ability to get the points for Alpine. He has been the under the radar driver, I think, of this one of the underrated drivers, if not the underrated driver of the season. Um, he just keeps his head down, has a good race, clean race. I don't think he's ever had a serious incident this season, if I can remember off the top of my head. He's just doing amazing and now with Alonso leaving and the seat is open, we don't know obviously who is taking that seat currently. He is, I believe, should be that number one driver, regardless of who comes in to that position. If it is obviously Daniel, it could be Daniel, it could be Gasly. I think it should be um Archon will be number one because of how well he's performing this season. And even last season as well. He had some good kind of uh, races and seasons before as well. But so good for him. And again, as you mentioned as well, double uh, double points for Alpine, what they need as well in the constructors. As mentioned, 24, uh, 24 points ahead of McLaren in their kind of mid-tier battle taking place. Um, but yeah, like he's becoming one of my favorite drivers this season. Yeah, Ocon's sort of become a bit of an unsung hero this season, I'd say. He sort of, he sort of, just, get, sort of just gets on with it, doesn't cause too much of a ruckus. And um, yeah, just... Uh, you know, just uh, so, so just just brings home the bacon when it's needed. Um, took advantage of, of, of the, the events unfolded in front of him, put in some good moves, and there we go. He's in the points, and he finished just ahead of one half of the of the, uh, of the Canadian maple syrup duo on the grid. Lance Stroll, P10. Let me just say that again. Lance Stroll, P10. Silent point killer. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I, I mean, credit where it's due. You know, he was into QC anyway. And he made up places on the first lap as well. He actually had a really good first lap. Um, I saw he was battling with possibly Alonso, certainly one of the Alpines. He was really getting his elbows out. He was actually showing some good racecraft. So I know I rib on him a lot, but he did actually have quite a good day today. And we know that the pace of that Aston is not great. But I, I for one, think Stroll did quite well today. So, uh, Aaron, I'd be interested to hear what, um, uh, what you think about Stroll, if anything, specifically about today. I didn't notice a huge amount of his race, but he was, uh, unlike his teammate, not in the picture and getting in the way. So, I mean, credit, like you said, credit where credit's due. It's very easy to criticise Lance Stroll because of the situation that he finds himself in and the fact that his dad owns the team and that sometimes his performances can be a little flaky. Let's put it mildly that way. But today, well, this weekend... He accessed the potential of the Aston Martin. Uh, I heard, I saw somewhere that the Sebastian Vettel error was caused by something that Lance had done in terms of running through the gravel, but I haven't seen that, so I cannot confirm that. But he got into Q3, unfortunate with the um, hydraulic or power unit issue with uh, the engine in, in Q3, but a P10 finish. He loves a P10 finish, doesn't he, Lance? So well done to him 
solid result. An extra point is not really going to change anything in the grand scheme of things for Aston Martin. They need to pick up a podium to really put the pressure on Alpha Tauri. So it's a, it's a tidy result and it it's just helpful for Lance's confidence. You know, he feels like he's getting a bit of a reward then for his efforts. And, uh, you know, on a day where Sebastian Vettel has picked up a five-second penalty for ignoring blue flags, Lance has picked up a point. So, you know, that's just, you know, it's a very neat and tidy race for Lance. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. And uh, we'll get on to Vettel because he's... Uh, no, he's not as far down the grid as I thought he was, somehow. Um, but yeah, we'll get on to him in a bit. But yeah, but I, I was impressed with Stroll today. Um, uh, yeah. Um, moving on to... Uh, who's next? Uh, just outside the points, Pierre Gasly. P11. Uh, I was hoping that, that he was going to... Um, that he was going to make it into the points. I like Gasly and he's and certainly last week he had a bit of a, a, bit of a resurgence because he's had not the best of seasons mm-hmm. so far. He's had a pretty poor season, especially given sort of last season and the season before. Um, but Sophia, uh, how do you feel Gassi went today? I mean, we didn't really see an awful lot of him. No, we saw more of his teammate, um, similar to how Stroll was with Vettel. Um, he was running in the points briefly, I think. Like, I think the highest he was was like P8 um, at one point during the race. So he had opportunities within the points, but very quiet. It's it's not his season at all. Um, he's not performing as well as he has been in previous seasons. Uh, the fact that he was not mentioned coming into turn one on the start of the race, which is... Uh, something that's happening quite often uh, this season for him. I think that was quite of a bonus um, that he wasn't involved in any kind of situations taking place. But uh, I don't know. It, it's a weird one. And then obviously everything that's happening off the track as well, adding situations and kind of confusion as well. It could maybe be the reason why he's just not been on par with his um, uncertainty of what's happening in 2023. Discussions of Alpine, uh, staying at uh, Alpha, um, Alpha Torre. We just don't know. Um, but yeah, a quiet race for Gasly compared to his teammate um, today. Yeah, I think it's safe to say Yuki definitely sold the headlines for Alpha Torre this weekend. Um, we'll get on to that in a moment. But P12 in the Williams, uh, Alex Albon. Aaron, uh, did you see much of Albon or... or- not really. I mean, I don't really know where to go. We're sort of into the dregs of the field now. Um, you know, I don't don't really know what to say. <laughs> yeah, there was because it was quite an exciting race. We didn't actually get to see a lot of what was happening further down the field, so it's difficult to really say what went on for them. But Albon managed to get into Q two yesterday, and then was P fifteen on the grid, which was higher than expected. But that was because Vettel, Ricardo. Uh, and there was Magnussen as well, all underperformed. So you know you got to you got to snipe that low hanging fruit. And again, you know sometimes the mark of a very good midfield racer, such as a Pierre Gasly or now an Alex Albon, is the fact that they they go unnoticed and they just end up in these sensible positions. And you go, well, how did they get there? But they've just done a professional job and they've delivered with the equipment they're given, and that's all you can. Well, that's the least you can say about Alex Albon this year, he's delivering with the equipment that he's been given and he's showing that there is still a fantastic racing driver in there. And when he gets his opportunities, he gets his elbows out. He makes his Williams as wide as the straight, uh, as wide as the Camel straight. And on the days when the Williams isn't quite up to it, he brings it home. I don't recall him just plainly crashing out of a race this season. He had the incident at Silverstone, for the most part, he's been a reliable pair of hands. And when you've got a car that's struggling, the worst thing that you can do is have two drivers in there who are a little bit crash happy, fast, but will crash. You need someone who's going to be reliable, give you good feedback and deliver the car back to you in one piece. And that is what Alex Albon does as a baseline. So the fact that he's just churning through good performances, good results for, for Williams for what they have, that is achievement in itself because it could be so easy to try and overdrive that car and, and throw it in the wall. Yeah, that's a very good point, actually, that um that Albon sort of just 
does the work that, that needs to be done without um, without sort of making too much of a song and dance about it and just, just getting these good results. Because you know, P12 in what is the worst current grid, if you look at some of the cars he's ahead of, I would say that's a pretty good result. And I think if, you know, perhaps there, perhaps there would have been a couple of DNFs in front of him, um, you know, say one of the Alpines would have blown up or, um, you know, or, or, you know, from the Ferraris would have had a hydraulic failure or something. He could have easily picked up a P10, um, you know, which, which I don't think is outside the realm's possibility at all. But, uh, but alas, he was P12 because we had 18 out of 20 finishes. But still, I thought uh, I fully agree with you, Aaron. Uh, he's doing a very, very, very good job this year. And then moving on to P13, someone who's had a up and down season is Mick Schumacher. Now, just before we go into this, I just want I just want to give perhaps sort of my something that I picked up on this weekend with Mick. Is this time last year we had Antonio Giovinazzi, who is in a position where he he basically needed to put his finger out and get some results or he was out. Does it feel, uh, Sophia, I want to pose this question to you. Does it feel the same, do you think, a bit with Mick? Because obviously he's just, you know, he's he's, he's announced, well, it's been announced he's passing ties with the Ferrari Driver Academy. Um, and then, you know, he goes and puts it in Q3 and then, you know, gets a bit of, has a bit of his fortune in the race. Yeah, I mean, it's been something that he's been needing to do all season. Um, I, from the way I'm thinking about with the Ferrari Driver Academy, um, it's, and Karun and some of the guys from the F1 have talked about it. The purpose of the academy is to help get a driver into F1 or give them the support to get into F1. Mick has now had almost two seasons under his belt. He shouldn't have the need of Ferrari to back him because he should have, with the two years or just under two years that he has had, he his own performance should have been the deciding factor of seats, whether or not he's affiliated with Ferrari. The whole point of the academy is to help younger drivers get from from all the way from karting, because you have Ferrari karting drivers and all that, all the way up to F1. And I think because he's had two years, he needs to be dropped. I think that's going to be the same with other drivers that have been in the academies. But I think he's one of the only kind of ones that are like junior academy um, still on the grid. He, I, I think it was quite funny, the fact that it was he was dropped and then next day in qualifying makes it to Q3 on his own merit. Um, absolutely ecstatic. But then his start off the line has been not the best this entire season. And we saw that today in this race. He literally dropped, I think, four points down, uh, four positions down on the start. He's just not performing well enough. And I think even with the situation with Kevin Magnuson um, going off on today's race, he's just not performing well. And I think with how good Kevin has been doing or how consistent Kevin has been doing compared to Mick, it's proving that he probably won't have a seat next year. Still, there's so many circulations of rumors going on about his seat and contracts. Um, we just don't know. I, I don't. I would. I would hate to see him leave, but he's not performing as well as he should. And even you can compare him to Yuki. You can compare him to Joe. They have more points, almost double the points than Mick does this season already. And they either started a year after him or the year the same year as him. I. He's been more low, um, and while this is a decent position for him, he needs to do a lot better. And we can't blame the car because look at Kevin. He's gotten a lot of points. He's gotten into good positions in the car as well. And he didn't even have kind of say or support in the car. And he took a year out in F1 and is still outperforming Mick. So, yeah, that's a bit of a, a bit of a sort of damning review there, if you like, of Mick. But Sophia, I, I think I think you may have a point to be honest, especially with a certain individual who is leaving a certain orange colour team this year, um, and who has run out of options in most of the seats. Uh, you know, I think there'll be perhaps be a couple of eyes on on that seat from uh, from someone. I wonder who we could be talking about. Anyway, uh, moving uh, moving down. Uh, oh, actually, finishing just behind Mick is his mentor and uh, and sort of uh, sort of like. Guardian angel of the grid, Sebastian Vettel. Um, Aaron, good luck. Seb, blue flags. 
Oh, it's the just floor is so, yours. It's just so ironic, isn't it? He gave us the the blue flags meme, and there he is, getting a five second penalty for ignoring blue flags. I mean, Seb, come on, man. Uh, yeah, it was slightly amateur, wasn't it, from Seb? He had ample opportunity to to get out of the way. And I know Jensen Button said on the Sky that it can be difficult to know. Uh, sort of where you are within the race and what's around you when you come out of the pit lane. That's what the engineer is for. That's their job is to tell you who's coming out around you. So they should have said Hamilton and Perez uh, will be close on exit uh, and they are on the lead lap. So he's got to get out of the way. The, look, it wasn't great because he's also got eyes and ears and a pair of not very useful mirrors on the Aston Martin and he could have still got out of the way. But this is a 50-50 split on blame because the driver can get out of the way, but the team can tell him what's going on. They can give you some semblance of the picture. It, it just, it's Aston Martin all over, isn't it? It's just, it, they try to do something good, but they just end up messing it up really, you know, or just flopping because it wasn't, it wasn't great. It really wasn't. And if that was, I don't know, a, a nameless driver from a certain very cold country then everyone on twitter would have been piling in you know absolutely two-footed challenges everywhere no holding back but because it's seb no one says anything and look seb's a nice guy and he's a four-time world champion he should know better but you know we've we've got to be clear on this you can't just get in the way (laughs) It's, it's not acceptable if that was the rate, if that was for the race lead and it cost for Stappen, could you imagine the uproar? You know, blue the blue flag situation, Seb's been on the receiving end of it before. He should know better. And that just about summed up his race because from that point on, he was nowhere. He had a bit of a terrible day, but it was all undone by his poor qualifying. Yeah, I think it's safe to say if he'd have done that, um, uh, and it would have cost us up in the lead. I don't think he would have made it out of uh, out of Zandvoort alive. You know, I think I think there would have been people baying baying for his blood whilst he tried to leave the circuit. Uh, but yes, um, that, and also that that's a very good point actually. I think about it being because it's said people sort of just go oh tee it's only Seb hashtag lols. Um, whereas if it was, you know, you know, so I'm trying to be damning the kids, but um, you know, but, but but whereas if it would have been a certain unnamed son of, of a Russian oligarch or whatever you call it, yeah, I think people would have been a, a tad more uh, or a tad less forgiving, should we say? But also, he's not enough anymore, so good riddance. Um, anyway, uh, behind Seb, we have P15 Kevin Magnusson. Uh, so here he decided to pretend he was back home and went rallying on uh, on on uh, what up I think it's turn turn two into turn three on lap two mm-hmm. at the start. I'm quite impressed he kept it out the wall because I, I thought he was going to whack that front wheel mm-hmm. and, and ruin his front suspension. But yeah, not a great day or weekend for him. Yeah, I mean, either hitting the wall or getting trapped in the gravel, I don't understand how he didn't manage to do either of them. But again, it also kind of will show how his skill is and how good of a driver he is as well, because like we've been comparing to other drivers from other countries, um, they would have hit the wall or gone to gravel or both. We would never know. And then bring out even more safety cars and potentially red flags and kick up even more of a crazy F1 Sunday race storm. Um, but the fact that he was able to continue on racing and able to finish the race, obviously no points, not above his teammate, which is becoming a rarity sometimes. I think it's been four times, three times I think that's happened. Um, the season actually maybe a little bit more, I think maybe five, but it's been okay it's has like we're not expecting them to be on podiums um even though i I was seeing a clip the other day and it was i think it was f1 tv someone's uh one of the commentators saying this could be a has uh pole position and podium and all the other commentators started laughing their heads off um, at that comment but 
Haas is Haas. We celebrate when they get points. We celebrate even more when they get double points. But they were able to, both of the drivers were able to finish the race with no issues, no problems. Um, quiet race. Besides that, a lot two incident. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I don't think there's much more to add about, uh, about KMAG. And I have a feeling this will be a running theme for. All the drivers we have remaining, bar one, who was the first year that, who I'm sure Alison's can look at who we're talking about. So finishing just behind uh, came out in P16, Aaron, was Zhou Guan Yu. A um, little bit disappointing from him, I thought. I was, uh, I was expecting perhaps a bit more. He'd had a decent qualifying, so uh, you know, I was hoping to see him sort of around sort of P11, maybe on the cusp of points, but ultimately P16. Yeah, it was, like you say, disappointing for Alfa Romeo, but I don't think they had uh, much expectation coming into um, the weekend because they they felt that their car wouldn't really suit. And at one point in uh, practice, I think they were like 18th and 20th or something. They were really, really low down the order. But that, I think, actually tells you how perception and expectation around Alfa Romeo has changed this season. Now that they've got a competitive midfield car they've got a pair of drivers who are motivated and I hesitate to use the phrase more capable because I feel that Joe is certainly doing a better job than uh, Antonio Giovinazzi as the ice cream van turns up at my house uh, <laughs> um, yeah I think Joe is doing a much better job this season than Antonio Giovinazzi would have done Raikkonen Versus Bottas is an interesting one because Bottas is in a different stage of his career, but Raikkonen obviously still had that star quality. But obviously the fundamental thing that's changed, apart from the two drivers, is the competitiveness of the Alfa Romeo Sauber itself. They had a really strong early season, but it's it's somewhat tailed off now, which is a shame. But hopefully there'll be some races where they can pick up some more points. They're not really in a fight for fourth. They're not going to be caught by Haas because Haas and Alpha Tauri need like wins and podiums to, to really haul that in, in in any real drastic measure. So they're, they're kind of settled in sixth. And it, it's like a, a football team that they know that they're safe from relegation with five or six games to go and half the players are imagining that they've got their flip-flops on and they're on their holidays. So it, I'm not saying that Alfa Romeo are going on holiday, but there's something of that sort of vibe there. They're, they're, they're competing, but the the amount that they whether their competition won't really change their outcome. Yeah, I mean that that is a good point about the sort of altered um, pers- uh, sort of a, uh, perspective, if you if you like, that we have of our Romeo. Because obviously last year it's very much well they're going to qualify ahead of Haas, going to mix it with the Williams and maybe just behind Alfa Romeo's. Might squeeze into Q2 if they're lucky. Whereas now, you know, we sort of almost got used to them at one stage being in the regular battle for points. And you know they had that for our reliability, led them down quite a lot earlier in the season. And Guan Yu Zhou especially, I think, has suffered a lot with reliability because he's had two or three opportunities where he's been in there for good points finishes. You know, sort of like a P9, a P8. Nobody's expecting him to be P3 on a podium because he... With the greatest respect, so he doesn't have like the sort of racing background. If you like, if you like, of Hamilton, he's not the next Hamilton or Verstappen or Russell or anybody. But he's come in and he's done a decent job. I think he's more than match Bottas. I think he's learned a lot off Bottas. I think the two of them have got a good dynamic. And I quite like. I didn't used to like Alfa Romeo that much because I used to sort of just think whatever. Um, but now, sort of the dynamic that they seem to have with Bottas and Joe. Both of them seem to get on and they've got a good dynamic with Fred Vasseur. I really like Fred Vasseur anyway, especially after that quote he came out with um, in, in, in the week. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, I think you made a very, very good point there. But um, moving down the grid even further into the depths, P17. Uh, so at least he started, where at least he finished where he started is Daniel Ricciardo. I don't even think that's something that needs to celebrate. I think that was probably a disservice um, to his ending. Um, 
man, I'm getting everybody that's in the rumor mill outside of the grid um, racing today. I oh, I don't even know what to say with Daniel. It's just like week by week, it's just been dropping. And then even like, I think what's been happening offline as well, um, outside of racing, I think has kind of kicked up things even more. Uh, and particularly the fact um, that... Uh, Oscar apparently signed on July 4th after Silverstone, even though he announced that he was staying with McLaren um, on July 12th or July 13th. I, I just think it's been a real kick in the teeth from him. I think McLaren, as much as I do love McLaren, I do like them as a constructor. I think they went about it quite badly. And you're looking back at clips and you're seeing Zach and Andreas um, praising Daniel and then we all know that they knew that they had a Oscar um, sign for, for a two-year contract, not just a one-year contract, but a two-year contract. He's just not there anymore. His interviews, you could see he is trying so hard to be positive. And for somebody who is very vocal, very happy, very energetic, to be quiet, very, I, I don't even know, like mundane, kind of very it's just sad to see and his performances are just not doing well the fact that he got out in q3 um and he's not been consistently in q1 as well he's most time being knocked out in q3 and q2 this season it's just he's just not performing well and this also will add more complexity to his spot yeah other way around um q1 and q3 i think um I think it's just going to add even more kind of confusion onto where he should go because normally when a driver kind of gets dropped, they normally kind of have the second win and be like, you dropped me. So ha ha ha, I'm going to actually do well and kind of like prove themselves. And that's just not the case with Daniel. It's just like, since it's been announced, it just keeps on going lower and lower. Yeah. Um, I wonder if it's his last season in F1 because I don't think he's going to go not. to. I, I don't think he's. I don't think he's going to go to Alpine. I don't think he's going to go to AlphaTauri because he's not going to go full circle. If he goes to Haas, that's such a disservice to him and what he's done. Um, but if that's the only way that he can stay in F one, then maybe I can see him maybe even taking a year out doing um, an Albon or a Alcon or Oscar. Like they've taken a year out and then come back a year later performing mm. very well. Um, yeah, but they're, they're younger drivers. I don't know. We'll see, but it, yeah, it's, 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 it's painful. Yeah, it, it, it is painful to you know to watch a man who won Monaco twenty eighteen in that fashion to be where Monza. he is now. Yeah, but, <laughs> but yeah, but you know, Monza last year was false hope. I think. Uh, yeah, it, it, I, I agree with you though. It is it is painful to see him. This far down the grid now, it's uh, yeah, and it's a regular but, uh, situation as well. We're seeing this very regularly that he is quite low. It's literally yeah. he is getting live testing and data for Lando, like that's and helping with pit um, tire strategy during races and kind of being the guinea pig of what's going on for Lando um, in the McLaren, which again is sad to see given that technically Daniel should have been or is the number one driver for McLaren. Or was, oh. <laughs> yeah. So I think that changed quite a while ago. But um, but but finishing P eighteen, uh, someone who managed to not finish P twenty for uh, for once, mainly because there were two DNFs. Uh, the ghost himself, Nicholas Latifi. Um, Aaron, anything to say on Latifi or not really? He was the only driver to get lapped. Unfortunately, that is the only thing we can mention about him because we, we didn't really see him in the race. I didn't actually notice him get lapped. It's, it's just such a shame because I think there is a good racing driver in there. I think he's just not out of his depth, but this is not F1 material. This car concept has just thrown him completely and he's really struggled. And Albon is doing a very good job. Yeah, I think it's. I think the time for change has come at Williams, but 
the problem is anyone other than Albon who is of any you know, real quality, talking a Nick DeVries or a Mick Schumacher or perhaps a Daniel Ricciardo, will they want to go to Williams if they're still that far off the pace? I mean, on their day, they're competitive as Albon showed at Spa, but they're few and far between, aren't they? And unfortunately, Nicky Latifi just at the moment isn't up to scratch, unfortunately. Thoroughly nice guy and I, I do wish him well, but I think we are reaching the end of his Formula One career. I might be wrong because this is F1 silly season after all and who even knows what's going to happen next? Hamilton's going to retire or something stupid's going to happen to just trigger even more carnage. Who knows? No, I think Hamilton will do a Rosberg and retire at the end of the season um, just, to re- just to really spice it up a bit. Then Ocon will go to Mercedes and then Alonso will go back to Alpine and Seb will come out of retirement. That's what's going to happen. Um, anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, just a bit differently. Just going to touch on Bottas had a DNF with a mechanical issue. He was coming down the main straight on lap 53 and his, something munched itself. His car died and that's that. Uh, I'm mainly skipping over that because I want to talk about Yuki Tsunoda and what happened. So this, so this is not specifically about Yuki, although you know, although you know, obviously he, you know, he has a part in this, but it's around Alpha Tauri and how they handled this. So I want to get both your inputs on this because I feel it was so pertinent to the race. Um, I'll go to you first, Sophia. Just give us like a minute or so. What do you think happened? Um, I mean, I feel like taking a note out of Ferrari strategy, I will say that. It was confusing um, because you just see him go off and then start back up again and then go into the pits. And then I quickly dipped, uh, like stepped away from the screen so I didn't know what happened. And then I'll th- turn around and then I see a virtual safety car due to Yuki and talking about a seatbelt and situations. I, I don't understand what's going on because obviously he said that there was a tire situation or it felt like a tire situation taking place um which apparently has actually been happening quite commonly today in other races as well not just in f1 um but i I just don't understand what's going on like it literally looked like ferrari strategists in the blue and white (laughs) so i think the, the the timeline of it is he goes in for his pit stop and they, they put on the hard compound tires. It comes out, feels that there's something wrong, maybe a vibration or something. Uh, it seems the left front, um, which I believe, but it was the, the front left for Marino Sato in the Formula 2 race this morning, mm-hmm. which uh, decided it didn't want to belong to the car anymore and sent Marino into the barrier at turn two. Yuki got a little bit further round and then stopped. And then the team told him that everything was okay from their end. And obviously they'd have had the, the, the wheel gun signals that they get the four green lights and then they say they can go. But by this point, Sonoda had actually undone his seatbelt and then proceeded to drive back to the pit lane where they redid his seatbelts and sent him out again, only for him to have to stop on track again. It Obviously, the cynical people amongst you all will go, ah, Alpha Tauri. They're Red Bulls, but second team. Hmm, I smell a rat. Who but, said that in Slack, Aaron? <laughs> I don't know. They will, they will remain nameless. Now, look, that, that is absolutely not the case because that would be incredibly difficult to orchestrate. The problem I have, and we've, we've crossed this bridge before because Charles Leclerc did two laps of Barcelona with his seatbelts either undone or not done up completely. And Sonoda has done, okay, a very slow lap, but there are some blind corners. He got in the way in practice at turn seven. Imagine if someone had come around that corner and not seen him. Look, I think the cause of the issue is sort of small potatoes at the moment because he has driven a the better, the best part of a lap with his seatbelts undone in the middle of a active Formula One race. 
I think there needs to be, and this might be asking too much, but it probably isn't really, if you think about the consequences of it, uh, potential consequences at least, there needs to be a safety mechanism that basically the car won't move uh, if it's in gear or something. And it's probably a little bit technically tricky with these complex machines as it is. But basically, the, if the car, if the seatbelts aren't clipped in to a sufficient level, like the wheel nuts, then uh, the car won't action because there's like a, a sensor within them. They have to all be plugged in. And if there's a failure of the, 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 um, the seatbelt, then the car will slowly power down. It will do the, the flashing red lights on the back, uh, like when they harvest the energy so the car is behind them, are warned that the car is slowing down and the driver can safely pull off the road. It's, you know, it's a very rare occurrence, but it's a very real thing. You know, you get told as a child to put your seatbelt on in a car and the, the seatbelt is the first mechanism of defense against an accident for a, for a racing driver. So for him to have driven a lap without his seatbelts done up, that is ridiculously outboarded. And then the fact that they, 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 did, they said they didn't have a problem and then he went out again and immediately stopped is weird, really weird. Just a whole strange situation. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Aaron. It's um, yeah, it's a, it's not a conspiracy compared to what some people some people might think. Michael Massey, first of all, Michael Massey's gone from the FIA, so that wouldn't happen. Um, now I'm really sure in the plot, but also, but but no, seriously speaking, yeah, you know, I think what happened is very much what you said. Yuki pitted, put the heart on, came out, felt a vibration, stopped, undid his belts to get out. Um, and Afatari said, no, 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 it's fine, just come back. He drove around, pitted, put softs on. That's when they tightened his belts and he then went round and had the issue and then and then um, DNF'd. That's that's what happened. It looks a bit shifty because it was Alphatari. And I said to last year about Abu Dhabi, I said, imagine if one of the Alphataris had hit the ball in Abu Dhabi in 2021. I, you know, it would have sent the conspiracies into overdrive. But, uh, but no, they didn't orchestrate anything and it wasn't really worth orchestrating. There's a good tweet um, by Sean Kelly that's been circulating on, on Twitter and I agree with this 100%. Um, and he literally just says, like, fun fact for anybody who thinks that things were done in an un- underhanded, underhanded manner to help Max win. He was 98 points, clear of any anyone other than his teammate, he was not needed of any urgent assistance. Like he technically did not need to win this race and he would still be leading the championship by a fair margin because if it was Mercedes to be a one, two or to have at least two Mercedes on the podium, that's actually better for Max's game because that's even more of a lead because Mercedes aren't at the moment in content with drivers. They're not in P2 or P3 in the driver's um championship so he didn't need to win he broke the curse as well of the super max song but that's it <laughs> yeah that's a yeah that's a, I, I, I forgot about the, the super max song but that's a that was a good point yeah so uh so yeah so that's um for all our lovely listeners and viewers that was our race review of the 2022 dutch grand prix so just before we wrap up, first of all, I'd like to give both of you a chance to promo yourselves. So Aaron, sported for our video watchers, he was sporting a very fancy banner made in OBS. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and where we can find you? Uh, so I uh, do the Five Red Lights F1 podcast. Um, so you can find that everywhere that does a podcast, uh, audio, and you can find it on YouTube. Uh, I do lots of other videos. I stream on Twitch. Uh, so I, I do the unthinkable where I take Alpine and I actually use, well, I will actually eventually use their junior drivers, you know. So uh, we'll see what they can actually do if we can get that far into the stream, into the into the save. Uh, I also write for F1 Chronicle and I write for Inside F2. So you can find my works there and you can find me on Twitter. If you're watching on uh, YouTube, then you can actually see it on the screen. But for those who are listening, it's... Uh, five underscore red underscore lights or my personal one is Aaron Harper 
41. Lovely. Thank you, Aaron. And Sophia, do you want to give us a quick spiel about everything F1? Yep. Uh, so we are on all social media platforms at Join EF1. That's TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and we now have a YouTube channel. We have a website that we post articles and content daily at www.everythingf1.com. We also record a podcast live on Tuesday nights and then released on Wednesdays on all streaming um, platforms at Everything F1. You can write to us, tweet to us, any kind of situation. We're always available to hear. Yes, and uh, as I mentioned at the start, I'm also part of Everything F1, so you can find me alongside Sophia. So just before we go, I'd just like to say Grid Talk is available on YouTube, where most episodes are recorded live, as well as Amazon Fire, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Music, Verbal, Omni Studio, and Pocket Gas. Just search Formula One Grid Talk for our back catalogue of shows, previous uh, previews, reviews, and reactions to qualifying. Please also consider supporting the, the channel on Patreon so we can get better mics, lights, and recording equipment. You can also get your hands on some official Grid Talk merchandise at f1chronicle.com forward slash store. Also, make sure you're subscribed so you're the first to know when each new weekly episode is released. We'll be back on tomorrow, actually, to preview the Italian Grand Prix. So until then, thank you, thank you very much for listening and goodbye.